this message this morning is a continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit in our world today, and it's specific about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. We expect him to work in the church and to fill the church, but his role, his place in the world is something that Jesus described and is critically important when it comes to us understanding uh, the work of the church, how God is building his church, and how that church relates to the world around us. So that's what we're going to uh, be talking about. I just need to ask a question before we go any further, uh, because later on I'll be, I'll be referring to this. Uh, this past two weeks, uh, two very uh, well-known people in our world passed away. One of them was Hugh Hefner. How many know who, who Hugh Hefner is? All right, how many do not know? Okay. And I, I wondered if the younger folks might not know who he is, and apparently several don't. And the second person is David Means. Uh, how many know who David Means is? So much, many more of you. How many do not know who he is? And again, it's a lot of our, our young people, and I expected uh, that that would be the case. Anyway, it's interesting how from one generation to the next, the people that we pay attention to uh, are not always the same. But let me say this to you, that both of those people I just referred to are affecting the younger generation today in ways that we'll talk about later in the service. Well, the Holy Spirit... He's here. He's in the church. Last week we talked about some of the things that Jesus said that he would do in the church and how important those things are to us, why we so need the presence of the Holy Spirit among us in our lives, in our congregation, so critically important. And Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send the advocate. He'll be just like me, and he'll do the things that I do. And then he talked about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We will be baptized by him. So all of these things are important roles that the Holy Spirit has in the church today. And there's a couple more that are mentioned in your notes. One of the things Jesus said is that the Holy Spirit would bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus spoke about. And we certainly need that to happen because our minds can get so cluttered with the various things of this world, the very busyness of life, that we just need to be brought, what needs to happen is that brought to our remembrance, uh, we need the things that Jesus said. We can hear so many different voices, but we need to hear one voice above them all, and that's the voice of Jesus. And so he said the Holy Spirit would do that for us. So we need to be open to the Holy Spirit for that purpose. And the second thing that uh, are mentioned in the notes, and this is just one of many that are in the Bible, but uh, I chose to put them there because they're a part of the, uh, the discourse that Jesus gave to his followers in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 that are primarily concerned about the Holy Spirit and his role in the church. And that second thing that are in your notes and that Jesus mentioned is that he would, he, the Holy Spirit, would glorify Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would help us to give Jesus 
the rightful place, his rightful place in our lives and in our church. And I won't say anything more about that now. There's some more things in your notes. By the way, if you want the full set of notes, they're available. You can just sign up at the back and uh, you can have them. Or if you want them online, just sign up and I'll give them to you online. To start with, uh, we're going to look to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 7 to 10. And these are very important uh, words that we're going to be listening to. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now, they didn't think that, but that's what Jesus said. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reprove or he will convince the world about three things. One of them is about sin. The second thing is about righteousness. And the third thing is about judgment. So these very three important convicting works of the Holy Spirit are at work in the world today. Now notice he didn't say he convinced the church about that. He's convincing the world about that. And then he said um, about sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and where you uh, can see me no longer, and judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So to convince about sin because people don't believe on him, about righteousness because Jesus not only died but he arose and he ascended to the Father, and about judgment because the devil, referred to as the prince of the world, has been judged and is being judged and will be judged. Let's uh, take a look at that eighth verse. It's the second slide. He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin because people do not believe me. So the world is wrong about sin. Uh, sin is an, a word that is familiar to us as people are in the church, and we understand something about it. We understand that it separates us from God. We understand that through Adam, our federal head of the human race, sin entered into the world, and as a result of that, death came upon all men. So sin, when it comes to the Christian, is a word that we understand and, and what is so special about it, in the sense that it's not that we are endeared to the idea of sin, but we are endeared to the idea that we have a sin bearer, that Jesus paid the price for us to be free from sin and its consequences and to be eternally saved. So sin, though we're convinced of it, the world isn't. Now, what is sin? We'll just put up one scripture. There's several in the Bible, but this is uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. 
It says, and this is slide two, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, that's Jesus, so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So here's some powerful statements about what sin is. First of all, it's a transgression or it's a breaking of the law of God. Uh, Secondly, in Jesus, there was no sin. He was pure. He was the holy lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then thirdly, and very profoundly, if we know Jesus, we have power over sin. We don't have to continue to sin. We, in fact, have a responsibility to live in victory over sin through the power of the cross made available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Philip Yancey said this, and it's the fourth slide, and it's interesting because in the world that the Holy Spirit is here to convince of about this thing called sin, he said this, and it's true. Today, although we hear about a health crisis associated with promiscuous sex, and drug abuse, or the problem of illegitimate births, or the social injustice of poverty and homelessness, we do not often hear the word sin. Try dropping sin into a conversation on these topics, and you will find what I mean. Ever notice that when people are interviewed on television, on some health program, or some uh, advocacy group that's trying to bring about something better in our world, that the reason for the need for that better thing to happen is never about sin. When we talk about the drug culture or uh, people who drink and drive and kill somebody, it's, they did wrong, they committed crime, but it's, you never hear the word sin. And yet the Holy Spirit has come to this world to convince the world about sin. And the issue here is that we, he needs to convince the world about sin because, and this is going back to that 8th verse, the world doesn't believe on Jesus. If you believed on Jesus, you, you'd have to believe about sin, the truth about sin. So when it comes to sharing the gospel, what is our focus? Is it our focus about talking about sin all the time and all the terrible things that people do and how they're going to hell because they're committing sin? Is that how we present the gospel? Or do we exalt Jesus? And throughout the book of Acts, which is our prototype, our blueprint for building the church today, which is what this whole series is about. It's called, I Will Build My Church. The, the, whole, the whole purpose, the whole thing that we see in the witness of the church, and I've given you several scripture references there, and there's several others in other passages of the Bible, that it talks about when we exalt the name of Jesus, when 
the Holy Spirit convinces a person about this person who is known to us as Savior and Lord, but to the world often just an historic figure, someone who lived and died. But whenever the Holy Spirit convinces a person about who Jesus is and what he does, suddenly the whole issue of sin comes into focus. It's a dangerous thing to preach the gospel and to fall short of that. To just say all you got to do is receive Jesus, come to the altar, and, and never deal with this thing called repentance, which is a renouncing and a turning away from sin. Aren't you glad Jesus died for us? Well, and uh, in Zechariah chapter 12, this is slide 5. The Old Testament says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Suddenly, when you look on Jesus and see that he was pierced because of the sins of the world, our hearts are awakened to just how awful our sin truly is. And the fact that it was our rebellion as a human race against God and our personal departures from the ways of God through the choices that all of us have made to violate the laws of God, suddenly he comes into focus. He died for me. He is the one on whom all my sin and iniquity was laid. He gave his life freely. The one who had no sin. He paid the price for it on my behalf. And I'm free today. I can look on him who was pierced, but rejoice in that he is not on the cross today, but that he rose from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, he will return someday as he promised, and in the meantime, my sins are gone, and in my future, there's the hope and there's the truth of eternal life. Well, the second thing the Holy Spirit convinces about is about righteousness. And here's what the scripture says. This is slide 6, verse 10 of John 16. The Spirit, Jesus said, would come into the world to convince the world about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Well, what does that mean? How do what is it about righteousness that the Holy Spirit is trying to convince the world of? Well, simply put, if Jesus was an imposter, do you think God would have ever raised him from the dead? That he would ever have been seen by so many and 500 people after his death? That there would be so much historical, empirical evidence that Jesus is who he said he was, and said he is, And that truly, he was the son of God, he was sinless, he died, he rose again, and he ascended. So, the Holy Spirit, as he convinces the world about this, convinces the world that 
Jesus was innocent. The charges laid against him by cruel men were unfounded charges. The court where he was brought by those who hated him, by the Jews who hated him, and he was brought before Pilate, it was an illegal court. They were false accusations. It was a false arrest, a false trial. Everything about it violated not just Roman law, but Jewish law. But nevertheless, he stood condemned, and he was crucified. But in the passing of time, the world came to realize he's innocent. He's righteous. That he didn't deserve this. And so now, as we become conscious of of sin on one hand, that the Holy Spirit convinces the world of, on the other hand, he convinces us of the innocence and the righteousness of this one called Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, and through his work brings to us the gift of righteousness. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, we read these words. It's slide number seven. It's kind of small print for you up there, but see if you can read it. But now the righteousness of God, not ours, but his, has been manifested or made known apart from the law. You see, the Jews thought that if you kept the law, if you did good enough, if you tried hard enough, if your good outweighed your bad, then then you'd be righteous. But Righteousness is not through keeping the law. It's apart from the law, the scripture says. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the law in the Old Testament, the prophets, talk about this righteousness that will come to us one day. And this is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is righteousness by trusting someone. By by being convinced by the Holy Spirit that this person who died as our sin bearer is the one who is now not condemning me for my sin or the fact that it was my sin that put him there, but instead of that, frees me from my sin, frees me from, from my guilt, and gives me this wonderful gift called righteousness, which means to have right standing with God, to have no consequences for my sin because... He carried those consequences to the cross. And it says there's no distinction. So this is not a class thing. This is not about Jews or Gentiles or whatever, uh, whatever nation. This is for everybody. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified. That means it's just as though you never sinned. It's a judicial term. It's been to be to be declared to be declared innocent of all charges against you. You are justified not because you are innocent, but because of His grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Who, you know, we know the Holy Spirit is in the world today to convince the world of this. But sometimes I think we need to be reconvinced ourselves as a church. That our standing in this world is not dependent upon the job we have or the prestige we have or anything that we have that is human-based. But 
our righteousness, our standing in this world is based upon this wonderful gift of grace that I received, not because I deserved it, but I simply because I believed it. We are justified by his, great, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That means that which renders God merciful. It's a, a, a word that is in the Old Testament, refers to the blood of the lamb, of the sacrificial lamb, that atones for our sins. So propitiation renders God's God merciful so that not just because God loved us, but he had to have a just reason to forgive us. And that just reason reason that renders him propitious, propitiation, that renders him propitious, that just reason is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross where his sinless blood was presented before the throne of God's grace and he became the he was just there, for the Bible says, in justifying those who believe. So he did not deny his holiness or his justice. He had the legitimate grounds upon which he could save the world. And those grounds were, and still are, the blood of Jesus who was shed for us. And in his divine forbearance, so God knew that all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament weren't sufficient, but he forbore. He looked ahead to that day when Jesus would die, and on the basis of what he saw ahead, he could justify people in the Old Testament who believed in God. So in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. The third thing the Holy Spirit is doing in the world, he is convincing the world of judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, behind all this thing called sin, there is a tempter, as you well know. And the devil who was once in the highest place of authority and blessing and esteem in heaven, he was Lucifer. He was the one who offered praise as the worship leader of the, of the universes. Lucifer had this lofty place, but he started to traffic in worship, traffic in praise. He wasn't satisfied just to worship God, but he wanted some of it for himself. And some, one day, the Bible says, pride was found in him, and he was cast out of heaven, and he became the devil, the serpent. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament, we're not ignorant of his devices, He's, he goes around like, a, devour, uh, like a, a, a lion, seeking who he may devour and destroy. Jesus said that the thief, referring to the devil, he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And he's alive on planet Earth today. And he's doing his work. And he's convincing the world of the very things that are opposite to that which Jesus is convincing the world of. And that is 
sin doesn't matter. In fact, there's no such thing. Don't even put it in your vocabulary when you're talking about things like drugs or alcohol or uh, promiscuous sex or all of the different things that happen in our world that are human-made and are so devastating in their consequences, the hatred, the violence, the wars. Oh, my. Um, he comes along with the opposite argument. He advocates for something that is sinister, something that is destructive, something that is opposite to the righteousness and the innocence of Jesus and the free gift of his grace that he offers us. He says, you don't need it. He'll tell a lie, and he is the father of lies, Jesus said. He'll say that, well, God's grace already covers you. You never have to repent of your sin. He'll say, in fact, this person, Jesus, well, yeah, a religion has been founded on him, but, you know, there's really questions about whether he really did die and then rise again. And then when we're speaking about that, by the way, uh, I'm not even sure if there actually is a, a personal being called God. And if there is, by some remote chance, he's distant. He's not concerned. Think about it. If he, if he oversees and supersedes all of the universes, all that is out there in space, do you think he really cares about little old you? And so he tells the lie. And he convinces and convinces the world about all of this. And yet... There's another current flowing through the earth today. It's the river of truth, the river of life. It's the river that Jesus spoke about and about which we spoke about last Sunday morning, that river that flows from the innermost of our being, that river called Holy Spirit, where his presence flows out through us as a witness to the earth that all of these other things that are contrary to what the Holy Spirit is saying are in fact lies. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he has, is here to condemn, not just uh, or to stand in condemnation for all of us who've sinned, but he's here to condemn the devil who advocates for sin. The Holy Spirit is here to convince the world that the prince of this world now stands condemned. And one day, his power and authority in the earth will be forever canceled. That right now there is a wonderful process that's going on in the earth and in the forbearance of God, he's waiting for people to accept the free gift of his grace. The free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He's here through his church to convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And a tremendous responsibility falls on us to be Vessels in his hands through whom he can do that. Hmm. Hugh Hefner. Um, there's an excellent article in Christianity Today. Actually, it's an article that was, I think, written in about 2005, if I'm not mistaken. But it talks about the influence of the man who 
really, he didn't introduce pornography to our culture, but it was through him that pornography became okay. That the sexualization and the objectification of women was just, well, it's okay. And he, he was an advocate for things like equality and racial equality, so people saw him as a champion in some areas, uh, which in fact he did do good in, but believing that if he was good here, he was also good here, when in fact he wasn't. He died this week at the age of 91. And uh, you can get ready to play that video in just a second. Uh, the Catholic Church, a father from the Catholic Church, uh, 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 a man by the name of Father Dwight Longnecker, posted this on uh, a blog called Pathios that I, I get uh, through my email. I get articles every day from it. And uh, here's what he said. Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy magazine, is dead. The Catholic Church teaches that at the moment of death, the eternal destiny of each soul is determined. You go up or you go down. Hugh Hefner led a life that was not only sexually self-indulgent, but it objectified women, glamorized sin, and caused millions to dive into sin with carefree abandon. He not only hurt women, but he helped in the breakdown of marriage, the destruction of the family, and contributed to the culture of contraception, abortion, and death. Predictably, he's being hailed as a trailblazer, a man ahead of his time, an entrepreneur, and a great American. Well, let's cut to the chase. The man is dead. The question remains, is Hugh Hefner in hell. It's not for me or anyone else to determine that. Any soul at any time up to the last moment may experience the grace of repentance and faith. He was 91. In his final years of old age, did he have regrets? Did he turn to the light? We don't know. We can only hope. Well, that man contributed more to convincing the world that sin is okay than few others have. And so the kind of, of, of proliferation of pornography that's in the world today, much of it is rooted in the cultural change that was fostered by this man, Hugh Hefner. And then another man died this week. His name is David Means. I think it was 2011, maybe 2010, at about this time of the year, that he stood right here where I'm standing right now, <laughs> and he dedicated Sunday morning inspiration to the Lord, our weekly radio program. And I took him and his wife, Norma Jean, out for lunch afterwards at the East Side Restaurant. And they were in, a, in their motorhome, and then after dinner, they were gone. 
and I never saw him personally uh, again. Um, what an incredible man. He interviewed me a couple of times on 100 Huntley Street in years gone by, and uh, he asked me to do some teaching at his uh, counselor's team that uh, answer the prayer lines, and I did that. Um, when you walk into the, the uh, Crossroads building, it's so professional. It's, it's so well done. A beautiful, beautiful uh, little restaurant there. Um, the studio is as good of a studio as you'll find anywhere. When he died, of course, all the Canadian national newscasts, CBC, CTV, Global, the Toronto Star, other newspapers, all carried news of his death across the land. Here's a clip that was played on Tuesday morning on 100 Huntley Street. It's about four minutes long. We'll watch it for about four minutes, and then we'll bring the preaching segment to a close. Many amazing places. Do you have a career highlight or two? In Ukraine, I had an invitation there from the senior officer corps uh, just after the demise of communism uh, to come and speak to the officer corps and to convince them that they should have chaplains or padres. And that was because I had done some work with the Canadian military. And uh, uh, so that was an amazing opportunity. And within about a year, they had chaplains. They had uh, uh, Roman Catholic, uh, Orthodox, Pentecostal, and Baptist. They, <laughs> uh, chaplains in the Ukrainian military after 70 years where you could not be an officer unless you declared there is no God. I asked the officers, uh, how many of you believe there is a personal God? I couldn't believe it after 70 years of official atheist. As far as I could see, every hand went up. And so I pray a lot for the Ukraine. Next door in Armenia, we became involved there. <clears throat> uh, we had uh, decided we were going to uh, re-equip equip a children's hospital. Well... Maybe I'll have to tell you the, the story for you. It's so much better in his words, but uh, it's not going to load. Okay. Uh, there was a wing of this hospital that was a psychiatric wing. I really wish you could see this. In fact, you can if you, if you have access to the Internet. The, the uh, link is in the notes there. You can just go to the link. And... They went into the psychiatric wing of this hospital and they came into a room where there was a little girl. I don't remember how old he said she was, but she had seen her mother crushed in the fighting that had taken place and her brother squeezed between two rocks with all his head just totally compressed and all of the blood and... and uh, the brain's just coming down his little body. And after seeing these things, he could, she couldn't talk. And she, I'm not sure how long she'd been in the hospital. But she, was, she was laying there, and the doctor said, she, is, she doesn't talk. 
she does, it appears that she doesn't even pay attention to anybody who's talking to her. She just lays in her bed and she stares. So David went over to her and uh, spoke to her and was able to get a little response from her. He said, do you believe in God? And she just said, no. She didn't say it. She just shook her head. Then he went and he said, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. Now remember, in all of the things that David Means has done in his life, this is the question that was asked him. What is the one memory you have that stands above every other, every other memory? So he prayed for her, and then he got up and turned to walk away. And as they were leaving the room, she spoke her name. My name is, and then gave the name. It's a, a name I don't recall. It's a European name. And David went over and put his arms around her and embraced her and kissed her on both cheeks and just, well, he, when you see him tell, he's, there's tears even all these years later as he remembers this. So two men, Hugh Hefner, who exploited women and just treated them with as objects and caused so many, so much pain and suffering in this world as a result. And then David Maines, who with the highlight of his life that he thinks about above all others is a little girl who was crushed beneath the weight of war and violence and who was desperate, who, whose mind and heart and emotions had shut down. And through one prayer, was changed. The question is, what kind of a legacy would you rather have? One that is about introducing and promoting sin in this world? Or one that is about promoting Jesus, his righteousness, his salvation? the gift of his love and grace that's available to all. <laughs> I don't know that it's really a coincidence that these two men died just two days apart. Uh, for me, it isn't anyway. It's just a stark reminder as a pastor and as a minister of the gospel how awesome the responsibility is for me and to convey to the body of Christ that God has given me the honor to pastor, that we have a, a responsibility that is above anything else you can imagine in this world when it comes to human responsibility, and that is the responsibility to be agents through whom the Holy Spirit convinces the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment.